From the Center for Strategic and International Studies, this is Citizens in Training, a podcast about the unlikely story of the United Arab Emirates military conscription program. I'm John Alterman, a senior vice president here at CSIS, the Zbigniew Brzezinski Chair in Global Security and Geostrategy and director of the Middle East program. And I'm Margot Balboni, a research associate in the Middle East program. If you missed last week's episode, we had on the podcast Dave DeRoche from the Near East South Asia Center for Security Studies. Dave is a former U.S. Army Ranger and Gulf expert who served in the Defense Department. We talked about the military, economic, and social consequences of using conscription to build an army. Dave also warned that if the UAE's National Service Program was not carefully executed, it could end up reversing the progress it wants to make. Today I'm talking to Elizabeth Bra, consultant at Control Risks and a non-resident fellow at the Scowcroft Center for Strategy and Security at the Atlantic Council. Elizabeth is a NATO expert and a former journalist with a long career looking at European security issues and Nordic armies. Elizabeth helps us understand debates on conscription in a very different context. The conversation highlights some key similarities to and differences from the UAE program. It'll likely come as no surprise to listeners that the UAE was keen to learn from existing models of conscription, but the countries it chose to study may not be those that one would predict. I called Elizabeth in London. She began by discussing the recent comeback of Sweden's conscription program. The country abandoned the draft in 2010, but reintroduced it in 2017 amid growing defense concerns in the shadow of the Russian military's excursions in Crimea and the Ukraine. I asked her how Swedes reacted and why. You might be surprised or you may not be surprised to hear that they were very much in favor of it. There was a large majority in favor of bringing the draft back. And uh, you might ask, well, why on earth would people volunteer? Uh, people of all ages, uh, so uh, including those uh, eligible to be drafted, why would they ever volunteer to, to do something that, that they haven't had to do for for the past seven years, but there was a sense that uh, the armed forces uh, had lost that connection with the general population that they had while the draft was still in existence. And now, as you as you mentioned, uh, the first class of conscripts are being uh, uh, tested and assessed and will join the armed forces uh, soon. You've talked a lot about how this fits into citizenship. Is there a big citizenship education component? Is there an effort to to make this a a sort of rite of passage for a certain kind of citizen? Or is it all implicit and and taken care of elsewhere in education in in Sweden and other Northern European countries? There is uh, an element uh, of citizenship education, although these countries take uh, that parts of education very strongly in elementary and secondary school. But what, what it does do is train these 19-year-olds as a reserve force. And so they remain involved as active citizens after the draft, which I think is very important because there's really no other element in our modern society where um, a good uh, section of of the population is involved with with how society is run, not in in a sort of a decision-making capacity, but just as citizens. And I think that's really important, and I uh, I understand from your report that that's also part of the intention behind the the draft or the conscription in 
the UAE to, to create these sort of active uh, or train these sort of active citizens who will remain involved with society even after their conscription period ends. As we discuss in the Citizens in Training report, the UAE was keen to learn from other countries that have maintained military drafts. This is a much smaller cohort today than it was during the Cold War. While Sweden's draft was dormant when the UAE designed its own program, the UAE government closely studied conscription models in Finland, South Korea, and Singapore. Even though these programs range in their levels of popular support, reform efforts, and contexts, the UAE identified each as embodying some kind of best practices, and they took note. And the study of the Finnish experience extended even further. The UAE actually hired the former second-in-command of the Finnish Defense Forces as an advisor to Abu Dhabi ruler Mohammed bin Zayed's office in 2011. This was three years before the National Service Program in the UAE began implementation. John asked Elizabeth about some of the characteristics of that Finnish model. You've talked um, about how Finland in particular has taken this soft glove approach, that it's not the old style military <clears throat> where drill instructors yell at you and order you around to march in the cold, but that there's a lot of solicitation, a lot of elicitation of uh, participants' views, making sure people feel fulfilled and happy. And it seemed to me that there were aspects of the UAE program that tried to, to mimic that. Did you see specific parallels in the kind of care that uh, the, the government took in a place like Finland versus, and when you read the report, how the UAE government is pursuing this? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, and I noticed, uh, noted also in, in your report that uh, the UAE program has been uh, uh, guided or has had input from the former deputy chief of defense of Finland. So there's <laughs> a, a clear uh, Finnish uh, uh, influence there. And I think what the Finns have managed to do is, uh, is extremely impressive. So they do have uh, a general universal uh, draft, mandatory draft, for men, and so how do you make sure you don't get a lot of dead wood, a lot of young guys who don't really want to be there, who are just essentially wasting your time and your resources? This mindset really speaks to Nordic countries' use of conscription as a way to fill the ranks of the military with capable personnel. And it doesn't necessarily parallel the kind of generational interventions the UAE envisions for its draft. And over the course of our field research, we heard senior officials discuss their vision for the National Service Program as the new 13th grade for young Emirati men. Still, Elizabeth suggests there are lessons to be learned. Nordic countries have succeeded in making the military a place where conscripts feel they can add and gain value as a way to deepen their loyalty to the military and to the nation. That's where this program um, they have called Transformational Leadership, which they launched 15 years ago, has made a huge difference because, as, as you mentioned, they do um, monitor and elicit the conscripts' opinions and they follow up on the results. And that it may sound terribly Scandinavian and, and uh, touchy-feely, but the result is that uh, these young conscripts who in most cases, would probably rather be doing something else, they get the feeling that they are being listened to and that their opinions count and that they are a valuable part of that organization. And uh, it has led to, to a significant increase in the number of uh, uh, conscripts who say that they would serve even if it were not mandatory, which is really quite remarkable. 
And it also changes uh, people's notice, notion of citizenship. There, there's that, that sense of reciprocity and service built in, in a way that, that may not have been as clear to people uh, from their earlier experiences. Yes, exactly. And so you have people who could conceivably find a way of, of uh, dodging the draft, for example, um, hockey stars playing in the NHL. And if you think about this, one year, which is the length of conscription in Finland in most cases, one year is uh, a long time in the life of a, of a young top athlete. The fact that they still want to serve and say that's, that's it's just something you do as a Finn, I think is quite remarkable. And it is this feeling that, that as a citizen, um, yes, you put in this year, but but you also you play a major role in your own way in uh, in shaping your society. And, and um, it may sound very abstract, but uh, to somebody like um, the NHL star who I uh, spoke with uh, recently, it, it, it's not abstract at all. He chose to dedicate a year of his life for this, and and he feels that. It's, it's important to him as a Finn to have done it. One of the innovations of the Swedish draft in its new incarnation is that it's not only compulsory for both men and women, but it's also radically gender neutral. This stands apart from the UAE model, which is mandatory for men and voluntary for women. Sweden's new model also extends the boundaries of gender balance within Swedish society. Elizabeth cites this as an example of how militaries can sometimes drive societal shifts, something the UAE program explicitly seeks to do in different ways. I would argue the military is leading uh, society. And if you look at Norway, for example, it has been a pioneer in um, integrating uh, women into the armed forces. It should be equal for everyone. We're an equal nation, so why shouldn't women have their share of the fun? So in 1988, along with Israel, it was the first country that made all positions in the military open to women. And it has been joined later by other countries, and now virtually every Western country has opened uh, combat uh, positions, and in fact all positions, to women. But then the question is, how do you get women to actually uh, serve? It's okay to open the positions, but uh, are women interested? Will they stay? The other aspect of this is that um, as, as uh, our uh, passive lifestyle increases, there are just fewer fit men to choose from. So it wasn't just for, for reasons of political correctness that the Norwegian Armed Forces needed to expand or grow the number of, of uh, female applicants. They just needed more fit applicants and the women uh, were a good uh, pool from which to draw. And But he, despite all its efforts, um, all their efforts, the armed forces didn't get enough women. And then when they made conscription gender neutral in 2016, so starting with the, the first class in 2016, part of, of the reason behind that was just very pragmatic. We need the best conscripts. Let's be uh, gender blind and just choose whoever we, we deem fit. It sounds like it's early to judge whether women who've been through this program take a, a higher range of non-traditional roles for women to play because of their military service, uh, or whether in fact society has just adapted to women playing non-traditional roles and it follows the form of women being treated uh, more equally in Scandinavia and other parts of the world because that's where Scandinavian societies are. 
No, but going back to your earlier question of whether it's the military influencing society or the other way around, I would argue that what we're what we have seen in Norway so far uh, points or, or is uh, um, is an example of military influencing society. So uh, with this sort of uh, gender blindness uh, that is being uh, or has been implemented in the armed forces, I don't think. Uh, you would see that anywhere among civilian employees. Yes, it's it's preached, but it's practiced. Another exa- interesting uh, experiment that the Norwegians uh, have conducted uh, along these uh, very lines is uh, an experiment that ended last year uh, where they had a, a combat unit, an air defense unit, I should say, that had 50-50 men and women, uh, so boys and girls, so soldiers about 19, 20 years old. And they wanted to see, can soldiers be taught to just think of each other as, as uh, brothers and sisters, fellow human beings, and not in any way as, as men and women? And the thinking behind that is that if, if soldiers can be taught to, to just forget <laughs> the, the gender aspect of another person, then... Uh, it would be a whole lot easier to operate armed forces. You wouldn't have to have separate accommodation for, for female soldiers. Even though there are uh, a girl in the room, uh, doesn't mean um, there are any romances. Uh, we are just uh, soldiers. Any soldier would just be a soldier, whether male or female. And that experiment was very successful. They had an anthropologist who accompanied them for the entire two years, observing the, the men and women. and. It was really quite remarkable, and I think, um, and, and the commander told me that the combat capability increased as well um, compared to the, the previous setup where they just had uh, female volunteers, and, and I think it was about 20% women. And so that, I think, shows how if we just, uh, and, and this may again sound very Scandinavian and touchy-feely, but but. It can be done, and if it can be done in the military, where you eat, sleep, and and uh, and uh, crawl in ditches together, it can be done elsewhere too. Citizens in Training is back next week for the final episode in our mini-series. We'll be talking to Stefan Hertog, a professor at the London School of Economics. Stefan will discuss the evolving relationships between Gulf governments and militaries, and how this bold experiment may fare in the future. You can read more about the UAE's conscription program in the full Citizens in Training report produced by the Middle East Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, or CSIS, as we like to call ourselves. You can find it along with a two-page executive summary at www.csis.org UAE conscription. If this is your first time listening to this series, don't forget to subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Share it with your friends and colleagues and let them know about this mini-series too. Let us know what you think by tweeting us at CSIS Mideast.